All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. All right, let's take our declaration of understanding. Now we have, thank God we have our magazine, so unlike before that, some people will be looking at us and moving their mouth and pretending. All right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The Lord is good. Now, when we want to study, we like to activate our spirits by taking those um, uh, chants, take that declaration of, the, of what God will do for us. We are receiving it by faith. So I want us to read it warmly. Claim whatever is written there by faith. One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right, amen. amen. That's by declaring that your spirit is already warm. Say amen to that. Amen. And you are ready to receive what God will give to you this evening. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I think I'll see the Lord is good. We have been looking at the issue of worship, worshiping in spirit, worshiping in truth. We're talking about worship of the true God. Please pardon me, I may be repeating what I've said again and again. It's never, um, Peter said, I know you know these things, but I will not neglect to remind you of them. So repeating them is not a problem. We will continue to repeat these things. So I'll just do a, a short recapitulation before we go into what we have to do today. Now what we have been trying to explain is the fact that... Um, Worship is what we must do to reach the aim of God in our lives. Worship is not the end. It's one of the things we, God put in place so that he can fulfill his plan in our lives. What was his plan at the beginning? Let's make man in our image and after our likeness. So as you are worshiping the true God, you are becoming like him. You are fulfilling that word that he gave at the beginning. He's making you in his image is making you in his likeness. As you are worshiping him, you are becoming like him. That's a matter of fact. And there's something I should quickly add to it. Okay, I said it before. Worship is natural. You can't help but worship. It's what or who you worship that you can select. But that you will worship is automatic. Now, so the next point, of course, from that is that if you are not worshiping the true God, you are worshiping a false one. You may not know, but you are worshiping it. You may not realize it, but actually you are living your life in service of somebody all the time. There are 365 degrees, all right, in a circle. Only one is correct in this, in this, uh, context, in this um, perspective, in this context. 359 are wrong. You have to make sure you locate the single degree that is right and follow it. You must do that deliberately. If you are not worshiping the true God, who revealed himself in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are worshipping a false one. You may not realize it, but that's what you are doing. You may not even think you are worshipping at all. That's another thing. That's what you are doing. You may not even realize you are worshipping at all, but you are worshipping. Do you forget my point? I said something the other time. I should repeat it again. Even those who say they are atheists, they don't believe in any God, is a lie. That spirit, okay, of atheism is a God in itself. Because there's no other way to make sense for anybody to follow that pattern of thought. I like one thing David Paulson used to say. He said, you have more faith than I do. 
I mean, we'll be talking to soldiers those days in the, um, in the Royal Air Force. And when they say they don't believe in God, they say you really have a lot of faith. That I don't have that amount of faith. That I cannot believe that everything I'm seeing, and you know the complexity of life, and you, you are able to believe it came out of nothing. Say so your faith is really great. You say I don't have that amount of faith. It is easier for me to believe that somebody made it. I'm trying to emphasize the fact that even those who say they are atheists, the truth is that they are worshipping something. They are, because if they were not worshipping anything, why are they so aggressive? In the You see them argue against common sense. So don't forget that you are worshipping. You can't help it. Worship is part of life. Worship is part of life. Worship is part of life. So what is the admonition the Lord has given us? Make sure you worship the true God. Make sure you worship the true God. That's the admonition he has given us. Because whether you, worship, whether you like it or not, you will worship something. So why waste your worship? I hope you're getting my point. Why waste it? And remember, and these are the things I'm repeating. Remember, you will become like what you worship. The statement I made the other time, I should repeat it again today, all right? That God, everything in this life has a day of judgment. Everything in this life. Every person, every principle has a day of judgment. Everything in this life will be judged. God will one day judge every single person, every individual. The founder of a religion, you will stand before the judgment seat one day and give account. And it says that, no, we quoted that, that the gods, when it comes to the gods, there is one simple yardstick of measurement. Did you make the heavens and the earth? If you did not, why were you receiving worship? That's a simple thing. If you did not make the heavens and the earth, what gave you the right to receive worship? So they will perish from the surface of the earth. They will perish from under the heavens. Just one thing. They did not make the heavens and the earth. And next point, anybody that's like them will go with them. We said, he already told us. Yet depart from me, go into the, you know, if a fire that was created to hell, created for the devil and his angels. Why did he say human beings should go there? When with his own mouth he said it was created for the devil and his angels. But that's just the way it is. If you follow a particular God, you become like that God. That his destiny will become like it. You become your own destiny too. So if you want a glorious destiny, worship the true God. What am I saying again today? It's something we do deliberately. It doesn't just happen by chance. You must consciously. It doesn't matter whether your father is a bishop and your mother is an archbishop. That doesn't work like that usually. You only have... <laughs> But whatever. <laughs> All right? You still have to deliberately choose to follow Christ. It doesn't matter whether your father is a preacher or an apostle. You have to deliberately choose to follow Christ Jesus. That is your only safety. It is your only security. That's just the way life is. You cannot, you don't have security, safety in any other place apart from in Christ. And Christ Jesus is served deliberately, not by accident. It's not by genealogy. Is self-deliberately. You have to make up your mind, I will follow this Jesus Christ. That's just the way it works. Otherwise, you will waste your life. You will waste your life. Okay? Please, let's never forget that. So, another thing we said last time, which I should quickly remind us also, I can pick it up from there, which I want to talk from today. When the Bible talks about worshiping in spirit, Jesus told us about that. These are, those are worshiping most. Worshiping how? In spirit and in truth. Now, I think I'm getting to today's message already. New Testament worship is like that. Is continue now. It's not really unique to the New Testament, but the New Testament, the other forms of worship have been played down so much. All right, like where you go to worship, New Testament doesn't have it. People say they are going for worship service. It's just our tradition. Sundays is not a day of worship. 
in New Testament. There are no days of worship in New Testament. There's no day. Christmas is not the time of worship. Easter is not the time of worship. Sundays, there are no days of worship. Do you follow? Christianity does not have any special day. There are very few ordinances that Christianity has. And I'm not aware of any one of them tied to any day. None. None of them is even tied to any time. Even some people have tried. They say that you can only take communion at night. I don't believe that. All right? Jesus did not emphasize the fact that you have to eat it at night. What the Bible emphasizes is the mode of eating it. You must rightfully descend the body when you are eating. There are very few ordinances in the New Testament. Under the New Covenant, there are very few ordinances. Baptism is one of them. All right? But you can be baptized at midday. You can be baptized at night. Remember the jailer and Paul and Silas. When that jailer was baptized at night, <laughs> Ethiopian eunuch was baptized during the day. What stops him from being baptized? Seeing that I'm in the midst of many waters. Okay? So you see, there's no day and there's no place. There's nothing like this about baptism. What are they saying? The these are baptism. What do you call that place? Anyway, there's a place where they baptize people. Okay? Listen, the fact is that you can be baptized anywhere. You can be baptized in a river, in an ocean, you know, in a stream, behind a house. So Christianity, you know, the modes of worship, the outward expression of worship, they've been minimized. They've been minimized. Offerings, let's talk about offerings as an example. Under the old covenant, if you see the details God gave concerning how to bring an offering and the kind of offering to bring, the animal will be inspected. There's a way you kill the animal. There's a way you share the animal. In fact, sacrifices had different names. Sometimes being a priest that day is a real profession. Those days, real profession. You go to school and learn. Because if you do it wrongly, you go the way of Hophni and Phinehas. Now, all those things have been downplayed in the New Testament. That's what I'm going to say. They've been downplayed. How you give is free will. Absolutely free will. There's no minimum. There's no maximum. Some people say that your giving starts from 10%. It's absolutely not New Testament. If you decide that's how you want to give, it's personal. I hope you're getting my point. Even when it comes to offerings, what we call offering, you know, New Testament, again, is free will. I'm going to emphasize something. That New Testament worship in moods and forms and rituals, okay, has been, that is, those, those rituals, they've been brought down very low so that God can emphasize the real thing he was going for. I hope you're getting my point. Okay, I was talking about giving. Take giving as an example. God leaves it to you. Do it the way you like it. He didn't give any instructions on exactly how much, what proportions. No, that's not giving at all under the new covenant. Importing 10% is an importation. We imported it. I'm not fighting over it, but let's just agree it was imported. That's why you never saw Peter emphasize it. James never did. Paul never did. Jesus never did. When Jesus was going to speak about it, he said these are matters of the law. You must understand that. He did not remove anything from giving. Okay? But he said it's free with God loves a cheerful giver. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Give as you have proposed in your heart. Be generous. Don't place your hope in riches because riches can be uncertain. I hope you're getting my point. He said, for that reason, be generous and ready to share. That's New Testament. That's New Testament. How many hours you spend in prayer is your problem. 
But don't forget to pray without season. As far as God, you know, someone would say that David used to pray 20, is it five times a day. Jesus said, well, how often do you pray? Without season. Men ought always to pray. That's what he said. And the disciples told the apostles he taught, they told us, pray without season, Paul said. So that's New Testament for you. Those modes and forms, okay, they have been de-emphasized. So that one, one place to another, you, can, you have to get used to the spirit of Christianity. I'm, I'm going to repeat that issue of spirit again. You get from one, one um, region, one zone to another, the Christianity will appear slightly different. And Jesus even said, be wise as serpents, be harmless as doves. The other day we were at the airport in Sokoto, Pascorija and I, sometime, um, um, I think it was last year. Or was it this last time we went, Seth, that you were with me? Sorry, I can't even remember. Anyway, one of these days, recently. So we met one young lady that knew Pastor Courage there, all right? But she came from down south to come and serve in the north. And then when we saw the way she was dressed, Pastor Courage and I talked about it, and she called, he called her and decided to talk to her. That is your dressing is not good. You are in Sokoto. Now, if, if she walked in here, nobody would think anything about it. Perfectly all right. If you're on the streets in Enugu, you wouldn't think anything about it. But in Sokoto, she stuck out like a sore thumb. That is, once you enter, you will notice her. Her blouse was small, not very bad. No, had, you know, fitted jeans, and then hair wasn't covered, and all of that. I said, yeah, in Sokoto, Jesus doesn't like this. It's called, be what? Wise as a serpent. Don't stick out for things that are not essential. I mean, if I, if, if, I mean, if I, if I was to advise her and Pastor did that day, say, hey, okay, come, come, come. Nothing wrong with you. We're not saying you are going to hellfire or Jesus is angry with you because of that, but look at it. You're sticking out needlessly. You're a core member. You understand? Just look around. Look at how the ladies around here dress. And I've sat down there before. I've seen them come and go. And they're all, they're as beautiful as beautiful can be. All this one of, of dressing like your, your head is not correct. It's just a, just a culture. It doesn't make you more beautiful. I mean, you sit down there. When they travel, sit down there. It depends on how happy you are. Beauty is about smile. 99% of beauty is in the mouth. Where the most expensive jewelry, do the hair do, we never see before. Enter looking like you act with a Jezebel spirit. Just know that. You know go fine. But without all of those things, just come out smiling. Your spirit, let your spirit just bubble out from your face. That's it. You will be beautiful. But let's not stay on that. The point I'm making is that, so that day, we just, particularly called the young woman, spoke with her. Don't, this is not, Jesus said, be, now this is my own words now. Be harmless as a dove, but be wise as a serpent. You get in there, they're very decent dresses they have there. Adopt one of them. Let that just be your code. That's it. Because there's no law about in Christianity. You know, those days in Nigerian Christians, if you wear trousers, you're going to hellfire. Remember? Why are you saying yes, I were you there? All these small, small boys will be remembering things that happened before they were born. What is kind of thing is this one now? I bet those who are there, answer me, if you talk again. <laughs> Thank you very much. Am I correct? Yes. Those days, if you wear, if you wear trousers, you go to church, they'll begin to cast out evil spirits. Agents have come for tonight's meeting. We will tell them they will not. All you did was wear trousers. It's not even tight fitting. Those are not wearing tight fitting trousers. So we have churches in Nigeria that said if you wear trousers, you are wearing men's clothing. And a woman is not supposed to wear man's clothing. 
So, if you wear trousers, you will die and go to hell. Did you hear those messages? I heard them in abundance. Then those churches spread abroad. Their members relocated abroad. They did evangelism to Europe, to North America. Man, when cold, mama guys. <laughs> Man, people began to, initially you go wear trousers under the one on top. After everybody took questions of the wind. So Nigerian guys will not travel, enter churches where the gate to hellfire has people with trousers. They get there and the church see women in trousers. After a long time, Pastor W.F. Kumuye came out and preached what he called non-essential church doctrines. He confessed that I added to the, to some of those things. It was not God. <laughs> yes. But that's our Christianity. There's no, there's no universal code or dressing. It's decency. That's, that's our watchword. What do, in fact, this summary of it, how to lie dress, what is your dressing saying? Like as of you wear ripped jeans. You are telling us you are not normal. You know, some of you wear ripped jeans. It's crazy people that wear torn clothes. All of you are quiet. <laughs> some of you online are also quiet. Pastor Baker, I say ripped jeans is bad. Yes, I think it is silly. I keep on telling Christians, is it everything you must copy? In case you do not know, I don't mean any insults to our brother. Western Kota said he actually has a mental problem. No, no, I don't mean any insult. No insult. It's an open secret. Sagging. Started in jail. People used to sag their trousers just to make it rich ground because the, you're a prisoner. So you don't have a choice. You can't say, okay, I want that. No, it's one, the one day. So the, some of these tall guys were giving short trousers. So to make it go down a bit, they pushed it down slightly. Then they turned prison habit into fashion and you copied. That's what I'm talking about. Somebody, you know, <laughs> gets up one day, starts wearing tattered clothing, and then you copied it. It will send you to a fire, but it shows that you have no self-confidence. I tell women, not only women, young men too, get normal jeans, you understand my point? Not torn. Iron is straight. They say they know they put gator for jeans, they say my own, they get gator. Iron is straight. Wear your trousers, you know, put a belt on it, and walk confidently through the mall, through the airport. After a while, young people will copy you. When they say you are the head and not the tail, that's what it means. To be the head means you are the one everybody is copying. Not you copying every rubbish outside there. Is you I'm talking about? I'm about to mention you. The person will know I'm talking about him. One of our brothers the other day. I'm talking, I know you are watching. He's always watching. He's there. I saw on his DP, one woman wear clothes. And he's a professional. You know, he designs clothes and all of that. So, when I saw the amount of breasts that was outside, so I said, my brother, between you, your workers, and this woman, do you know the difference between public liability companies and private investment? And some things are public. Some, people are, some things are private. There's a reason why I call some parts of the body private parts. Why do you not want to make them public? He said, oh, God, no be me. Now, so this woman, did. Said, now your state away, the advertised clothes. Now I, said, I said, I'm going to report it to my wife. I said, Madam, see you. He said, is he aware? I said, is the status? I know you are watching. You can be laughing there. I said, listen, my brother. There are some things that are private. Some things are public. Stop turning private things to public limited companies. It's not right. The world shouldn't tell us what is fine and what is not. Let us set the pace. They choose to follow us or they refuse to follow us is their problem. I won't wake up in the morning to want to look like people who made their fame from making sex tapes. 
Do not be the ones that decide what I wear, what I don't wear. How did I get to know about you, old girl? Because you made a sex tape and licked it. And they say something, no, they lick, I hope you know they lick this in themselves. They lick it themselves. It's notoriety. In that space, just be talked about. For good or for bad, be talked about. If you have done a lot of good, they've not talked about you, you go and shoot somebody. They start talking about you. And after they talked about it for a long time, if you think it's really bad, you get somebody else to claim he's the one that did it. I hope you are aware that in those countries, they are what they call sin eaters. Yeah, they call them sin eaters. You go out on one night, you know, fight. Then your name is a, as you had upcoming um, rap artist. And your name is Rap and Die. They just call, give you one name, Rap and Die. You know what I'm saying? So when they are not hearing about you, you go and get into a fight. And they'll cover it, Rap and Die. You make sure that the place is a bit dark. They can't see it very well. And then they'll take pictures and say, that's Rap and Die fighting. You won't talk for some time. So for CNN, you'll be on CNN, you'll be on BBC, you'll be on Al Jazeera, you'll be on France 94. Of course, some of these stupid Nigerian uh, newspapers will carry you to entertainment, rap and die, go fight. You know that kind of thing. So when the whole world has talked about it for a few days, it's not me. Where were you that day? They say your phone shows that you say it's a friend of mine. That you pay a friend of yours, yours half a million dollars who looks like you. He's called a sin eater. He's not a rap artist. He can go to jail for six months because it's going to be minimum security, not a big deal. When he comes out, he has a million dollars waiting. He eats the sin. But rap and die has made the fame. Some of the things you follow in this world, that is the spirit behind them. Mammon. Young people, please be careful. Choose your heroes. David said, the godly ones in this earth, they are my true heroes. Make sure they go, and please, godly people, bear in mind, let me put it like that. There are people who are watching you. They are watching you. If you tear your jeans one inch, those following you will tear it one mile. Okay, one yard. Why is your jeans torn? Ah, Pastor Bucky's jeans is torn. They will forget that my own. I was trying to climb the staircase. Now something who come. Now down here it tear just now. And they just say, Pastor Banky's where's torn. That's it. People wanted to, wanted to wear torn pattern before. They've now found my jeans as excuse. So if my jeans is torn by accident, I saw it immediately. Don't use me as an excuse to be following crazy people. Now, I went to that trying to explain something. The spirit, that's why I wanted to emphasize all of this to us. When Jesus said, worship in spirit and in truth. The reason, if you see, it was saying that the time has come. That is, there was a time where worship was, to a large extent, outward. You had to travel somewhere on a mountain that the Lord chose to offer a sacrifice. You have to go to that place with a particular kind of sacrifice. Not just anything you liked. That's why they were clean animals. And they were unclean animals. That's the reason why. God was showing certain things there. And at the point in time, when that thing had been done, he obliterated the difference between clean and unclean. But that thing existed for a time for a reason. So there were animals you offered to God. Those things were so outward. But Jesus said, the time has come when those who will worship God will no longer go to places. They will no longer have a prescription of animals. They will no longer have modes by which they offer those animals. They will worship him in spirit and in truth. And last time I explained the meaning of spirit there. What does it mean to worship in spirit? I explained that there are different 
uses of the word spirit in scriptures, especially in New Testament. It's so diverse that people now get confused when they don't get it in context and know exactly what they say. So some say that, okay, because, of course, last time I gave an example, I gave at least five examples. The word spirit used to describe angels. It makes the minister spirits. You understand? All right? It's used to describe angels. It's used to describe evil spirits. Of course, the word evil spirit alone, demons. Okay? You see it. The word spirit is the same word for wind. The word spirit is the same word for breath. So that's why James said, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without works dead. What he said is that just as the body without the breath. You know, I've said that thing for years until one day I opened, I think, New Living Translation. I found, ah, New Living Translation even renders it correctly. So, the word spirit, they people often, you know, they got confused thinking that it's talking about the spirit, you know. No, it was talking about breath. Breath is the spirit there. So, that word is used, is very widely used. So, people get confused. But the spirit also describes what is your motivation in life. What is the baseline tempo in your soul? What is waking you up in the morning? What's getting you to sleep in the evening? What exhausts you during the day? What are you living for? I hope you're getting my point. What are you living for? For many people, that's what they call the worship of mammon. When they wake up in the morning, everything is about money. If you're getting a new job, it's about how much is it? If you're getting involved in a new business, it's about how much are they paying? How much money is there to be made? You want to marry, how will this woman help me make more money? Or how will this man bring money into our home? You know, everything is money, 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 money. Listen to me. That person is worshipping mammon. Because the reason why he or she wakes up and does things every day is for the sake of acquiring more material things, more money. That is what is called the worship of mammon. The worship of mammon does not mean you take a picture, mold of U.S. dollars. Take a picture of Bitcoin. <laughs> take a picture of Naira. Carve it or make a literal gold statue and bow to it. That's not the worship of mammon. The worship of mammon simply means that you don't do anything unless there's money to be made from it. And listen, you don't know what you're really worshipping until you have to make sacrifices. Yes. So people you think they are good, they are good. They've never been, no demand has been made on them to do evil. You know who is good, who is bad, when a demand is made. What are you living for? That's what we're making. So you find out, when Jesus said, worship in spirit, he was taking that New Testament worship, bringing it out to where to God's original purpose, in which you don't have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to go to a, to a mountain. You don't have to go anywhere. Wherever you are, worship is going on. If you are sleeping, you are sleeping in spirit. What it meant is that what is the motivation? For example, there was a time Jesus, of course, you know God has commandments concerning sleep. He said to them, come inside and rest for a while. He said, it's vain to rise up early and to go to bed late. God has a commandment concerning it. So, you sleep because of what he said, that is, is worship in spirit. What is it? What are we trying to say? Everything you are doing, what is the motivation? What is the reason behind everything you are doing? That is the meaning of worshiping in spirit. I gave the example now, the person worshiping mammon. Is worshiping mammon in spirit. I hope you're getting my point. Yes, that's it. That's what, that's what it means. In spirit does not mean that when I want to worship, I pray in tongues first. Let's sing. No, no, I have to pray in tongues for like 15 minutes. Why? Because the Bible says worship in spirit. Before we pray, we have to speak in tongues for 25 minutes. Why? The Bible says worship in spirit. That's not what it means. For example, what the prayer itself, I hope you know it's an offering. 
It's an offering. It's an offering. It's an offering. And that's another thing I should if I, that's scripture, I, I wanted to read Romans chapter 12. You have to bear in mind that we are priests of God and we have been called to offer acceptable sacrifices. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. We are priests of God and our calling as priests, the job of a priest is to offer sacrifices. That's the primary assignment of a priest. So we are all priests of God. We are a kingdom of priests unto the Father. Jesus has made us into that. Our job is to offer acceptable sacrifices. That's number one. Bear that in mind. Number two is that bear in mind that everything you do with your life must be an acceptable sacrifice unto God. Please bear that in mind. Everything you do with your life must be an acceptable sacrifice unto God. You can't even marry a woman that's not pleasing to God. Neither can you marry a man that's not pleasing to God. It's forbidden. It's disallowed. One day I heard a man talk. Let me, let me tell you, I just like dropping it. See, marriage is not the most important thing on this earth. I hope you're aware of that. You look like you're surprised. You thought it was? Jesus, that's who can be married. See the shock in his face. How is the camera could have caught that? When I say, say, eh? When I've been believing God all this while, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's not the most important thing. Because sometimes I've heard Christians say things. I just realized that, you see, let me put it this way. Pleasing God is the most important thing. Worshipping in spirit is the most important thing. Knowing that everything we are doing is an offering, each thing is an offering unto God, is the most important thing. Because sometimes I've heard preachers preach, and you say, ah, are you making a mistake here? You seem to have forgotten that that's not the purpose of life. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added. Additions are not the primary things. They are additions. And sometimes people will see in the pursuit of the primary thing, there are some good additions, like I said last time, that are removed. Even though they are good, we say, no, this addition will not be good. Even though in themselves, they should have been good. But on this journey, just like dressing properly, dressing nicely, it's good. But if you dress the way I'm dressed... You are not planning to win Olympics gold medal. You know that. I need to tell you. No matter how fine your clothes, somebody just gave you the best, you know, this two shares, you know, $2,000 suit. That's why I'm going to run 100 meters. I can't leave my suit behind. I can't leave my suit behind. <laughs> run is even easy. Try to swim like this. You have come last. That is, you know already. Just say, where's the last medal? <laughs> just give me. <laughs> As good as decent clothing is supposed to be, if we are running a race, it don't belong. That's why the missionary life of Paul, without God being against marriage, it required him to drop the idea. God was not against marriage. But that life that Paul lived required him to drop that idea. By Elton, a man whose life we have examined so many times in this regard, he came to Nigeria those days, by the instruction of the Spirit, married the woman that followed him up. You know, it's interesting. The woman was the one that followed him up as a young believer. That was the woman he married, and she was 13 years older than him. Yes. Some of you should think that marriage is for photography. So you can post on Instagram. No. All for them it was about was purpose. Now what I'm telling his story is the fact that he had one daughter. It's because of that daughter. I'm talking about it. He said he loved children. He wanted more children. But his missionary assignment did not allow it. He was coming to a place. He was a white man. 
You understand? It's not like now. It will have been easy for him to raise, you know, white children in Africa. But those days, it will have been hard. He said he realized that every time he needed to educate his children, he would have had to travel back home. And he said he did not believe in separating a man and his wife. So the atmosphere did not allow him. That's it. And the only daughter he had became a missionary too, who lived all her life in Nigeria. If she's still alive now, she'll be maybe 80-something, an old woman. Even though the Bible says it clearly, children are the heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. And it's a blessing to have a quiver full of them. Jesus said it's an addition. It's not the primary thing. It's an addition. So when the addition didn't fit the primary purpose, we let them go. I hope you're getting the point here. So because I've heard pastors preach sometimes, I say, as if life is about marriage. They start saying, well, you know, things that are so clear in scripture, we drop them because we have to marry. Even if the person is not a believer, it doesn't matter because you see, not every believer is nice and not every unbeliever is bad. So if the man is good and you're looking at the person like, if you were Jesus, wouldn't you shoot you? No, you're thinking about it that you take the word of God and throw it away because of Marriage, personal issues like this. One man preached one day, you know when you have faith anyway, you just be believing that this man can't be saying what he said. He's a marriage expert. I sat in a meeting where once where a man was preaching. He said some of these things have been saying that Christians cannot marry a non-Christian. He said we may have to review it. So I was wondering, why will he say that? They began to explain himself about the family friends who married uh, maybe a Christian, married somebody who's not a Christian, and then... Um, they live happily ever after. And I'm wondering, why didn't you write a letter to Jesus about it? That please excise this portion of the scriptures. That's what happens when people think that additions are the primary things. Listen, don't let God use you as an example of how he judges his obedience. Please, don't. That's not the primary thing. What we should hear is, listen, if it is this marriage, we will not marry, leave it. Let's obey God. It cannot define our lives. Let's fulfill the purpose of God. That's the primary thing. We can't let additions take us away from the primary focus. The primary thing is that we must be formed in the image of Christ. When the man said it that day, I was like, is this supposed to be a joke? And that's the reason when we began to preach prosperity, people forgot that prosperity is also what? An addition. They forgot there's an addition. That you cannot take away from the core substance because of addition. So they began to justify, as long as it brings money, they will justify things. In that process, People are not becoming that image of Christ that God said they should be. Because we forgot and began to pursue the addition. What does it mean to worship in spirit? That's what I'm going to emphasize again. To worship in spirit means that everything that you do. Now, let's read it again, even though we all know it by heart. Romans chapter 12. You know, something happens to me once in a while because of this ministry. Is that you finish preaching everything. All you ministers in the house listen now. You don't have to preach anything new. Simon, have you? Oh, Sylvester, sly, okay. You don't have to preach anything new. You know, okay, let's just use a new go as an, an example. I preach it like twice a week, okay? That's the one that everybody comes for. We'll do some other ones that are just for recording purposes for radio. But generally two times a week. Day in, that is uh, week in, week out. Month in, month out. Remove December, year in. Year out. That one does, we don't do 70 years Sabbath when it comes to the year thing. So when you do that for a long time, after a while, everything you, even if the only Bible you are coming to read, it will finish now. This is where a lot of ministers now fall. 
You want to preach something new. And once you want to preach something new, you will tell lies. Once your purpose is preach something new, you will lie. See, I didn't qualify more than that, did I? Once it's like, let me tell them something I've not told them before. You're a liar. You start lying. That is, once, you, once that thought enters your head, you start lying. Now, I need to say it because a lot of young ministers, you pass through that phase. You will. You will. Especially you pastor a church. People come listen to you all the time. After a while, like, is it the same thing I'll be telling them? Let me just give you the word of God. Yes. Don't tell them any other thing. Preach on the same thing again and again. Don't get tired. There's a story I heard from D.L. I think it was D.L. Moody. Once. He told a young preacher he met somewhere. He said, anytime you are in town, pass by my church, you know, maybe I've, you know, they'll give you an opportunity to preach. So the young, he just said, you out of court, they met somewhere. Then one day he was in his house. The young, woman, the young man knocked on the door. Good afternoon, sir. I'm passing by town. Timothy was like, what? But he had committed himself. So he couldn't put a few things together. Told the young man to preach. But he was traveling. So he told his wife that they should use the smaller hall. So he started using the small hall. The young man was preaching. So after he called home, like, how is it going? The wife said, well, we have had to move to the bigger hall. That the, the, the crowd was so much that they couldn't squeeze into this. So they had to go to the main church auditorium. Ah. So he was like, what's the young man preaching? Young guy, I mean, he's the big man. What's the young guy preaching? So the wife said, well, he's been taking the same text of scripture every day. <laughs> so he came back home and met the man preaching from John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. He said, that was the text of scripture this guy took every single day. And the crowd kept on expanding, increasing in number. So he came joined the meeting. I don't know how many days the guy was preaching, but he joined the meeting too. First day, the guy took the same text of scripture. Next day, same, ah. so one day, it's a senior minister, and I asked the young man, the young man, how, how long do you intend to keep taking this text of scripture? <laughs> the guy gave him an answer. He said, till everybody believes it. <laughs> Their Moody's life changed, See, literally. The young man told him, till everybody believes it. Let me now add my own words. Every day they come, I see two people that have not believed it, I say to them again. <laughs> I'm adding that one to it now. He said, till everybody believes it. I had to drop this once in a while for preachers. Because, why, you'll see why I said it in a moment. Because I'm getting to a message now, which as a series, I'm doing maybe like the fourth time in Kingdom World Ministries. I don't think it's less than the fourth. I'm about to start it again. I didn't forget that I preached it before. If you say you've heard it before, go home. It's your problem. Everybody has their own problem in life. <laughs> bear, bear, each one, the Bible says what? We bear his own load. So bear your problem. Your problem that you've heard it before. Go. I will preach it again. I now found preachers who did like me. Number one, Peter. Peter said, I know you know it. I will still write it to you. Then I met Kennedy Hagen. I met Kennedy Hagen. I began to listen to his messages. And you guess what? He preached the same thing. I listened to him for a period. Now, I don't mean that I knew him for that long. But, you know, when you get these messages, I listened to what he preached maybe in the 60s. I listened to what he preached in the early 2000s. I listened to him for a span of over 40 years. 
The only thing that changed was the tone of his voice. When he was younger, his voice was sharper and thinner. When he was older, the voice was a bit slower and thicker. But the content did not change one bit. The same scriptures, and this is the funny part, the same stories. So I remember, you know, that was immediately after the war in 1945. In, in, in he, he would tell that, I feel like, sir, we have heard that story like 10 times. <laughs> he doesn't care. He's telling you the same story again and again. So I tell ministers, please stop. I've, I've seen big preachers try to preach something new. And when they start, they start lying. And that, look, sometimes they lie. Other times they say things that have no meaning. Start so using big English. And then they will say, I want to tell you something you haven't heard before. In fact, <laughs> oh, and you're wondering, how do you know I've not heard it before? You think you're the only one preaching in this world? So actually, now I'm digressing because a lot of people listen to me who are preachers. It's very arrogant on your part to make that statement. I'm going to tell you something you did not know before. How do you know I didn't know it before? Do you know I've hardly had anybody tell me something I did not know before, and I did not know it before. Most of the time they say it, I knew it. The people that didn't say it are the ones that did not know it. I hope you're getting my point. There are many people I listen to that. They'll just keep talking, and we'll keep learning. And I'm a very interesting human being. The message I'm like to listen to is the one I've listened to before. Yes, I've noticed that. So for the preachers I listen to, I do an average of one of their messages maybe like 30 times. And that's 30 times counting. There's nothing like I've heard this one before. Anytime I tell you I've heard one before, just I didn't enjoy it. Once I hear it once, I archive it. It now becomes one of the regulars. One of, one of the regulars. There's one particular message by Kenneth Higgins. I can almost preach it. He started answering the call. In the spiritual effectiveness series, I think. I've listened to that message. That once I place it in, we are preaching it together. He says one thing, I say the next one. He said the other one, I said, because we are preaching it together. I've listened to it so many times. But do you know what? It motivates me. Oh, God. If any time I feel like I need to get a push in ministry, I go and listen to it. The words that I speak, he said, the flesh profits what? Nothing. That is, that sound is not what we are dealing with. Those letters, that's not what we are dealing with. He said, but they are what? Spirit, they are, and they are life. So the words that I speak say they are spirit and they are life. That is, they carry a spiritual substance, which is current in the realm of the spirit, that imparts life, change, grace into any situation. So you cannot put on current and say, no, I have put it on before. Do you ever say that? Have you ever gone to switch on and say, that, say well, no, fellas, don't put on that switch. Well, I've used it before. You don't say that. The current that flowed through it yesterday, power that fans yesterday, power that air conditioners yesterday, power that lights yesterday, power that speaker yesterday, power the microphone yesterday, power the cameras yesterday, is not effective today. So what do we do? We put it on again. That is how it is. That is why, even though the Bible is 66 books, they are not 66 big books. So. I hope you are aware of it. The Bible is not 66 big books. It's 66 books of which a lot of them are very tiny. A simple letter to Philemon. One guy that did it, I'm not angry with him, just I used to be a fan, is the Elder John. Elder John will always say that I will have written more, but I'm coming to visit you soon. I said, that's why we don't have it today. This guy that I will have come. Have you noticed? Read third John, read second John epistle. He said, I want to write more, but I'm coming to see you now. No need to write. I said, look at this guy. That's why we don't have that. And it's a small, small scribblings, letters to friends. 
but we still keep reading them. We don't get tired of reading them. Why? Because it's like a current. It's like you're switching on something. You can't say we switched it on yesterday. We don't need to switch it on again today. No, we don't do that. We keep switching it on every day. It's new current that's passing through it. Now, the wire profits nothing. I hope you're getting my point. What is a wire? The letters. The words. The, that's what Jesus called the flesh profits nothing. The physical substance is not where the power is. He said, however, they need to carry that spirit. So he said, the words that I speak, they carry a spiritual substance that impart life. So each time you speak that word, expect new life. Do you get my point? Don't think it's the old life. It's not the old life. It's not the old life. Because it's like food. The word of God is like food. Have you noticed that everything you eat is just like about six or seven things? If I, should I start asking you? Is the, one day when we're young, young guys who don't have time for this nonsense, it's women that bring this kind of things into your life. When you're young, beans is beans. This one with moi moi and uh, akara is just beans. So when we're young, those days when we're house officers, we ate only beans. When you leave beans, you add rice. When you eat rice, it's yam. I'm not aware of any other thing we ate. <laughs> okay, have I added bread? Okay, bread. Uh-huh, that's four. It was when marriage came into your life, beans now became akara today. Moi moi tomorrow, and then yam became pounded one today, and then the, the soup was now all kind. Look, what in concern, guys? Life is easy when you're a single man. I remember one day we discovered some sisters, my friend and I, they were talking, and they were saying that, that we are not eating. So what do you mean we are not eating? So, I, I, it's not the same thing. We're not getting chemical about it, we're analyzing the content. It's not the same beans. Just swallow. As far as we're concerned, once you deliver the right amount of beans, whether it comes in balls, or it comes squashed in moi moi, or you, have the one, you, want, you are the one that will chew it and swallow it, it made no difference. So, now, where am I going with all this? Have you ever come to tell yourself that, uh, what is that food? He says, it's rice. But didn't we eat rice last week? You know, your wife will look at you and say, and so? It's the same thing you eat all the time. Is that, is that not so? You know Why? What matters is that it has the nutrients. And the nutrients in the rice of last week, it finished since. I hope you're aware of that. So if you want that same energy again, you've got to eat that rice again. That's the reason why you can't say, I've, I've read First Corinthians chapter 13, and I won't read it. No, you read it again. You will continue, you read it again. Because when you read it, it empowers you to walk in love. Then that energy begins to go down. Begins to go down. Then when you realize you are becoming angry with everybody, suspicious of everybody, irritable with everybody, your love spirit has gone down. It's called energy. Are you get, I hope you're getting my point. So you go and doze up again. You get a buffet of love. Oh, please, eh? If the Lord just allows me, I need to teach on this. You know how to create a spiritual ambience. I led a prayer meeting this morning, well, virtual. And I remember, they said, okay, pray for people who want to marry. So that they will find husband and wife to marry. You know the prayer point that God dropped in my mind? I believe the Holy Spirit. He said, no, stop telling. Everybody there knows how to pray. They know, like, ask God. They all know. So I said, everybody go and read the story of how God made Adam for Eve and tell that story prophetically. That's how I wrote the prayer. Does he make Adam for Eve? But you know what I mean. Whether you, you know, the way, whether you tie wrapper on the waist or try waist on the wrapper, as long as the person is not naked, okay? All right. <laughs> but you get my point, all right? 
I said, just go there, read it. How God made Eve for Adam. I said, read it prophetically. And I emphasized to the brethren. I made some words bold. That God said, it is not good. It was his decision. Then he put the man to sleep. Then he by himself created the woman out of the rib that he made. And he by himself, he took her to him. I said, tell that story to yourself again and again and again. I said, Adam did not have any method for attracting an Eve. He was asleep. Eve did not have any method for attracting an Adam. She didn't know she needed an Adam. The moment he showed up, it was Adam time. Now, what was the prayer about? I just said, no, just tell the story. And I felt led by the Spirit to say that. I said, just tell the story. Read the story again. Tell the story to somebody. You know why? Because this time you are telling the story, you are releasing a spirit. You are releasing a spirit. And I just tell the stories. You are releasing a spirit. So preachers never get tired of saying the same. Look, trying to preach something new is satanic. It's an oppression of evil spirits to cripple your ministry. Looking for something new to preach. The one you know, go and say it again. It will continue to have life. You must understand. That's how, look, you can't say, I've eaten this food before. If I is that one you like, you keep on eating. I told you, if I feel like this ministry needs to get a push, I go and listen to answering the call back. I know every word inside that message is 50, it's not up to one hour. It's 50 something minutes. Once I put it in, he says one word, I can say the next one. Before he starts talking, I know what, you, I, look, I've listened to that thing, I don't know how many times. To be counting now is ridiculous. I've listened to it so much. It's not time that I've listened to it 20 times, 30 times. I think if I want to estimate now, I should be starting from like 150 or 100 and beyond. I won't go below 100. Because I don't even know when. And when I pick it one time, I don't listen to it once. Sometimes I do some messages, I just put it there, repeat. Enter my car, explain. I'm going to sleep, explain. I'm, I'm having a bath, explain. You know, Pastor Murphy has a way of giving me strange gifts. <laughs> so he gave me a gift some time ago. <laughs> that was my first time of owning a Bluetooth speaker. Victory, what do we call it in the house? The purse, thank you. <laughs> when I tell Victory, get my purse, he knows what I mean. Because it's shaped like a purse. So why do I like it in the house? I don't have to carry the phone that I'm playing over. I just carry the... And because it's loud, you understand? You know, when you're having a bath, water is splashing all over the place. You can't hear the phone. I use the purse. If I'm, do you get my point? Listen, what I'm trying to say is that that message, even though I've heard it scores and scores and scores of times, I, I can decide now because I told you about it today, to go and listen to it again tomorrow morning. Just because I told you about it today. I look for it tomorrow morning and listen to it again. And it's just 50 something minutes. But as God leads, I'm not lying to you. Anytime I listen to it, it pushes me forward a bit. It releases a spirit. There's a book I recommended some time ago titled Curry to Conquer by um, Lesa Sombra. It's this kind of book that you don't even know what the man is saying. But anytime you read it, you have you, courage. <laughs> courage will enter into your heart. He said, What's that book? You'll be looking like, mm, there's courage inside the book. That's all you can just say. Because once you read it, you become more resilient. You can take beating. You can you refuse to fail. You know, something just comes into you. It's called the spirit. That's why you must read Genesis again. 
Read Exodus again. I know you have read Revelation already again. You can't, this book, you can't stop reading. Why? It's not information it is giving you. It's transmitting a spirit. The way by which God communicates that spirit to us is through his word. So that's why preachers stop looking for what new to preach. God didn't send to preach anything new. Anyway, what do you want to preach that somebody has not preached before? Somebody said, look, what I want to tell you today, I didn't read it anywhere. The Holy Spirit, I'm looking at it, shows you don't read. Leave this thing. Don't come on trying to harass us. <laughs> shows you don't read. It's not a sign of your spirituality and your authenticity. It is not. Sometimes it's a sign of your arrogance and your laziness. And don't be ashamed that you read something from somewhere. In fact, one thing, you know me, maybe I, look, once I want to tell you something somebody taught me, I will just tell you. If it's somebody I, I don't mind recommending, I will tell you who it is. There's one man, I love him, yeah, one particular message he has. I love it a lot, but he talks a lot of things that are wrong. So I don't like recommending him. I just said, somebody said this. Don't be ashamed to say somebody taught me this one. God didn't send you to preach something new. What you have preached before, preach it again. I hope you're getting my point. Don't feel like, ah, my ministry has finished. It hasn't finished. I just started. <laughs> like I said to you, I've seen ministers who try to pray. I, I, I know one man. Anytime they organize their convention, one particular minister, I won't tell you who. In fact, you can't get me to tell you who. Once he starts preaching, you start wondering whether he's all right. Now, what did this man of God smoke? He starts saying things that, if I wonder when a particular meeting like that, he says something, my friend beside me say. I said, wait, after, after. Well, my friend was alarmed. He said, but, I said, wait, let's go home first. When we go home, I started dropping scriptures to show that what he said made no sense. I feel like, did he not know the Bible? But he, he felt under pressure to preach something new. When they said that God used to create through evolution. I said, well, scientists have harassed you. into Because you just have to preach something new. And then what used to pay me, some of those things he used to preach is that, you see, some of us, eh, I don't mean, I'm not trying to be arrogant, all right? Just a matter of fact. I read a lot. You know, I just pick everything I read. Some of those things, they've gone and read from one hidden place. I want to come and harass us with it. And you've, you've almost burst into laughter. I read that in six years ago. <laughs> you feel like telling man, I know who wrote it. And the person lied. You have begun to believe he lied. <laughs> what am I trying to say? There's no need to preach anything new. When it's time when the Holy Spirit gives you a new word, you will release it. You are not under pressure. It's not compulsory. I hope you're getting my point. It's not. The Lord is good. I just took time aside to drop that one. Let me now get back to my own thing. <laughs> what I wanted to preach, I have preached again. So I was saying to you, remember that was where I began from? Those early days, I used to have those temptations, but thank God I never fell for them. The Lord is good. And if I fell for them, the Lord has wiped out the falling. I can't even remember. <laughs> But Romans chapter 12, let's get back there. So what I was saying to you is that I'm about to start preaching something that every time I preach in Kingdom World Ministries, periodically I get back to it. This cannot be less than the, I think it should be, if you count the seminars, okay, okay. Let's just count Enugu alone. It should be like the fifth time I'm coming to this over these many years. I always get back there once in a while. Oh, but I forgot to tell you, (laughs) we changed the topic. The topic normally changes. Like this one is coming under true worship. Okay, but essentially what I'm t- discussing is how to walk in the will of God for your life. It's one of the things I like to teach on. How to walk in the will of God for your life. It's very important. Okay, but let, I'm not tightening that one now, but I want to bring that from the angle of worship. So Romans chapter 12, let's just read that. Remember, we are priests of God. 
And our job is to do what? Offer acceptable sacrifices. Our duty is to offer acceptable sacrifices. And that's our worship. And what Christianity is, is that everything we do as New Testament priests, uh, everything is a sacrifice. When you are eating, the eating is a sacrifice. I'm not joking about that. Everything you are doing is a sacrifice. In New Testament, in New Testament um, mind, uh, Peter said, he said, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I just read from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 there. To offer acceptable what? Acceptable what? Sacrifices. Sacrifices. Thank you. So Romans chapter 12, Paul said, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He said, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, let me just read the next few verses, okay, because I think it's just good to connect something from there. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. He now says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, he said, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Let me stop reading here. Now, the main thing, verses 1 to 2, so we have been looking at that, that this is our foundational worship. Remember I was saying that worship in spirit means what is it that is actually your motivation for everything you do. So everything you do, the spirit behind it, Jesus said, is where you worship. Every single thing you do, the spirit behind it is where you worship. Let me give, I've given this illustration before, but it's very funny. You know, we all misbehave sometimes. So one day I misbehaved in a funny way, and I was laughing at myself. I got to my office. Okay, people were waiting kind of on the corridor. So from there, as I walked in, you know, I, I called somebody, called the fellow loud, gave a few instructions, gave, called another person, gave some instructions. And as I, as I did that, as I laughing at myself, I said, Mark, you are very stupid. I said, the only reason why you are additional these instructions that you want these people lining up here to know you are the boss. That's all. Let's not lie. And it's a subtle thing. I hope you're getting my point. I said, you just felt like feeling big. One thing God has helped me with, I'm not saying I'm perfect yet, though. I'm moving, eh? I'm moving. But God has been helping me over time to examine my motives and be honest to myself. Yes, God is helping me with that. that I remember when I got to my office, I said, Vanky, you are a very, very foolish man. What are you trying to do? You just want to show everybody that you are the big guy here. Who's contesting with you? Shame, shame, shame on you. Shame, shame, shame on you. Shame. I said, Lord, you don't do now. I'm sorry. I know we'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> Let's leave this. And really, after that, I stopped doing stupid things like that. Just, I, just, I was just honest to myself. And listen to me. That's what God calls worship. When I say worship in spirit. Now, if you were there, you would not have thought about it. I was the only one that knew what was going on. I didn't do anything strange. Normally, I'm a bit of a 
no, loud and jovial person in my office. And that's how I behave. Just walk in, hey, shout somebody's name, give the person knock cool, you know. People, you know, <laughs> I, but that particular day, I said, stop this. All this noise is to tell all these people lining up here. Here, I'm the guy. I got a bachiruzo. I've come. <laughs> the voluntary of this department. And everything you do has a motive. Everything you do has a motive. I was saying something earlier. And he said that my book, Worship and Sex Control. When we design clothes, especially female clothes, men's clothes, really, what did they want design more than no be coat? We don't wear coat forever now. Coat. You know, you can cut it like this man's own and put bottles all over the place. Still coat. <laughs> it's women that keep on changing design up and down. And you want to design a cloth, ask yourself, what is this saying? You know, the world made the word sexy. They made it into a normal thing now. To use it to define how nice something is. But originally, it actually meant sexy. It's sexually appealing. That's actually what it meant originally. And I dare to say, before you wear clothes, ask yourself, what am I doing? Now, that message is for women. Men hardly have such problems. Men just wear their slippers, just move up and down. That's all. The men, their attraction is somewhere else. It's, when they, it's money that they are looking for. <laughs> it's money. <laughs> A lot is good. Now, so those who design sometimes, you know, they have those things in mind. And I'm saying, don't buy their, don't buy their spirit. It's not just about the clothing itself. It's the spirit. You know, those who design sportswear, they don't, they're not thinking about your sexual attraction at all. It's how to shave half a second. What's half a second? That's too much. Zero points. If it's something like 100 meters, 200 meters. How to shave zero point zero one second off just this, the friction. <laughs> you see, the spirit there is of excellence. Everything has a spirit to Everything. And God said that is where you worship. And what should be the spirit for believers? Now, whatever I'm doing, David said like this, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. That whatever, I'm, whatever be the spirit behind what I'm doing must be acceptable. Let me just emphasize this again so that we'll understand it. Now, I said that New Testament, worship has downplayed the external and emphasized the spirit. However, the spirit, now please, because it's important we don't get into this confusion you find some Christianity today. That is just in the spirit, man. When the spirit is right, <laughs> when the spirit is right, <laughs> no, the right spirit will now manifest externally. But why I emphasize that is that Jesus was trying to say that you see, because of that pattern of operation, it's difficult to judge. Let me give an example now. You give, okay, this will be a good illustration. When, of course, you know what's the tithe, ten percent, right? Good. Now, I learned some of the things early in Christianity. Now. First, one brother explained something to me once that 10% is not 10%. Let's forget it. That It can't be 10% for everybody. He said, look, my place, where office where we work, he showed me the kind of thing they do for them in accommodation. He said, but I have colleagues who earn the same amount of money. They live, let's say, down the road. All those things have been taken off from them. He said, his 10% and my 10% is not the same thing. Now, please follow me. So as I was growing up as a believer, I began to learn that proportion is what matters to God when it comes to giving. So if you give, if you have a million, and you give... 200,000, I'll give him 20%. And if I have, let's say, 20 million, and I have given, and I give, um, what's 20% of that? 4 million, right? 4 million, yeah, 20%, yes. And I give 5 million, I've given more than you. All right, so that's just the way it reason. Why? Because I went beyond 20, you give 20%. 
Then somebody else comes, he has 100 million and he gives 50 million, and then he has given 50 percent. So he has given more than me, and he has given more than you. Until EG links, explain a new principle to me. And I say, yeah. Now, wow, this life, is, this life is complicated, though. Just obey God. He showed that when Jesus said that woman gave, remember the woman with the two minds? That was the smallest, like half cup, well, okay, let's say 15 naira of today. Okay, 20 naira, 20 naira, yes. All right? It's about the smallest amount of, okay, no, we say half 10 naira, right? I'm talking about functional things. I'm not saying, <laughs> what can you buy with your five naira? Unless you bring a sack of it. <laughs> I mean, functional thing. Like in Nigeria of today, 10 naira is about the minimum you can really spend. That's why you buy a sachet of water, right? Yeah. Hmm? No, it's still 10 naira in some places. Okay, let's just take those some places. 10 naira, okay? So that woman came with two 10 naira of today. In those days, that's how it was. Two mites. The smallest they could get in currency. So Jesus said she had given more than everybody else. E.G. Links now pointed out that it was not 100% Jesus was talking about. Jesus said she has given more than everybody else. How? She's given all she had to live on. Now, he pointed out to her that what you have to live on was what Jesus was saying. Let's get back to our equation. So, you had, let me, I need to scale it down a bit, okay, to make it clearer. You had 10,000 naira. You gave 2,000. That is what, 20%. Okay? Then, I come with, okay, you now come with a million naira. And you give a, a 200,000. That's 20%. Link said, no, it, that calculation is not so straightforward. And his own reason is that me that gave, uh, you that had 100 million and gave out 20 million, what was remaining? They gave out 50 million. What was remaining? 50 million. He says, so let's calculate it based on what we have to live on. So the person that gave 2,000 out of 10,000 has what to live on now? 8,000. The person who gave 200, uh, 2 million out of 10 million has what to live on now? 8 million. He said, now, I just see where he's going. He said, what decides your generosity is what do you have left? It's not the proportion you give. So when a billionaire gives $900 million, he has given nothing. Because an average human being on this earth cannot spend $100 million in a lifetime. If it doesn't doesn't do anything massive. So that there's no self-sacrifice. So you are impressed that Bill Gates gave out 85% of his net worth and gave to, uh, sorry, Warren Buffett. Give 85% of his net worth and give to Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Ejidlin said that he has not sacrificed anything. There's been no self-sacrifice. Because if you are dealing with $100 billion, you give out $58 billion. $15 billion today will still win APC presidency. <laughs> Do you get my point? You will still shake Jagaban. On $15 billion, you've equated Alikudangote net worth. So he said, what have you sacrificed? Today he said, I say, another leg don't come. Until then, I was doing proportion, proportion. Each said, no, it, the, 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 the weight of your sacrifice is what you have to live on after that. What is left for you to live on? So when you heard that a celebrity gave this amount of money, and you want to use to compare, you Christians, what are you doing? Stop talking. You don't even know what's pushing the individual. You don't know what's pushing people. That's why in Christianity, that motive, eh, God is watching it. And for us, it's about faith. Like now, you've secured your destiny, you've invested everywhere, your children have graduated. And listen, let me just say something to you quickly. Stop leaving the things of God till they are convenient. Because you lose out eternally. Do you hear what I said? Stop leaving the things of God until they are convenient. 
Because God is testing you on a daily basis. You did something next week, does not have the same effect with God as you did it this week. It's the same thing, it's been done. But when it's calculating, you don't know what it's calculating. <laughs> I'm learning something. On a, daily, on a regular basis, if you leave the things of God, it is convenient. Sometimes you have not really sacrificed. And God is watching to see. He knows what is testing each time. That's why Jesus told us, look, worship in spirit. Then if you want letters of the law. If you want to be using calculation to give, you, it, you continually lose out with God. Because you go and get a kind of, I've satisfied God, not to satisfy myself. That self still remains in you. Is alone is a problem. <laughs> Let me share something with you. You know, I, you know, I, I always drop things on the side. Okay, I always drop things on the side to help people. One day I analyzed women, my wife included, your wife included, your wife included. I'm done to be sure. Go and say your wife to people who are single. That's why I'm looking well. The wife where you went for the wedding included. <laughs> and I say that you know. So nearly I tweeted something. I shared something out that day. I said, you see, worship in spirit. That's what I'm talking about. That you know. Now I say this categorically. I will still do that small uh, sit out wanted to do one time. The guys have been trying to tell me, say, Pastor, you like you are forgotten. No. I like guys doing me hand like this now. Say, you see, please help us. <laughs> now, please, this is a digression, but I'm a master digress, dig- digressor or digressor. Digressing. <laughs> now, women don't hang me. If you want to hang me, you're of the devil because I know what I'm saying is correct. It's only these uh, feminists that want to hang me. I'm telling the truth. Do you know, as of today, I am convinced if God has to judge men and judge women eh, on marriage matters, he will score the men higher. I don't want any man to say yes because you'll be lying. You don't know. I'm the only one that knows right here. <laughs> yes, today, as of today. This is 2020, right? 2022. Okay, 2022. Yeah, he will. You say, Pastor Banky, men are better than women. No. You know whose fault it is? The preachers. And I don't really like it when women preachers preach to women about marriage. I personally don't like it. Okay, I don't like it much. I like men to come. Because sometimes they'll be reading our minds wrongly, and telling the other women. The other women leave there more confused than before they came. One day I went for one meeting. They said, what women, what men with their wives knew about them? And it's a kind of discussion. It was a, a breakfast meeting. Everybody would speak. <laughs> it's really why I'm laughing. So somebody spoke and introduced this subject. So we're supposed to contribute. You know, the first four people who contributed, you know what they were? Women. What was the topic? What men wished their wives knew about them. And the first four contributors were women. You didn't catch that? I know the point is all the men sat down and were looking at each other. <laughs> and they didn't say anything. So finally, I put up my hand. I was the first man to contribute that day. So they gave me the microphone. I said, please, oh, I'm getting something wrong here. I thought this meeting was what men wished their wives knew about them. Why are these women talking? We all of you sit down and stop talking. That's how I talked talk that day. I said, who asked you to talk? I said, this is how you will live here. You won't learn anything. You say it's a great meeting. 
I dropped the microphone. <laughs> One man took the mic and so he said, This man, I don't know you, but God will bless you. <laughs> he said, In fact, <laughs> he was so angry. He said, I was, about, I was about to get up and leave. He said, But you have made me stay. After that, we made all the women keep quiet. <laughs> I said, how can you know what we want you to know when you are the one doing the talking? <laughs> no, why do I think men uh, do better than women? I'll tell you. It's simple. Not because they're inherently better, even though uh, we are all sinners, amen? Saved by grace. So, uh, the main reason why the women don't do as well is because that's Christian women, the worldly women, different reason. Christian women. Why I'm convinced they don't do as well as a man in the eyes of God, not in their own eyes. In their own eyes, they do far better. I hope you know that. In the eyes of the world, they are the ones suffering. Domestic violence is against women until a woman runs you mental in the same house. Leave that in. <laughs> I talk, talk, I say, I beg. You know the reason why? Is the preachers. They don't teach the women rightly. They teach them wrongly. And many times they are trying to follow what they have been taught. The men generally have been well taught. They have emphasized to them, love your wife as Christ loved the church. We have rebuked men who love their mothers more than their wives. We have rebuked them. Men that hide money from their wives, we have rebuked them. What have we not done to these men? We have taught them the word of God so consistently. And you know what? The word works. So the word is working. So it's normal for us Christians to find faithful men who take, carry all the money they have, they bring it home, take care of their wife, take care of their children. It's common with us. Now, you say, what do the women do wrong? It's simple. They've not been taught what God expects them to learn, which is that submission is not a way of getting your way. It's a way of losing your way, of letting down yourself. That that which you want, you know you won't get it, and you are happy not to get it. I saw Josmia's quote somewhere a few, day, a few hours ago. Josmia said, patience is not about waiting. It's about, about your, it's about your attitude while waiting. Anybody can wait, but what is your attitude while you are waiting? In the same manner, when I found out, submission is about, it's not about, you know, you know what most women do? Submission is how I get my way. And they advise themselves. The other day, my wife advised somebody. She told me what she told the person. I said, what you told the person is very wrong. She was surprised. I said, what you told that woman is very wrong. She said, what? I said, it took me time to get an example. What she said to the woman was this. Look, listen, all men, men are like that. Even my husband. All these men. Exactly the same. I said, so you have to learn to respect your husband. I said, she said, what's wrong with that? I don't think anything's wrong with that. You don't think anything wrong with it? But most people don't think anything wrong with that. But I now ask her a simple question. I said, you heard the school, secondary school. I said, if, it, if a pupil, I mentioned one of the, the, the students in the school, disrespects a teacher, I mentioned one of the teachers, I said, will you correct this pupil by saying that, please, all teachers want to be respected? I said, will you say that? I said, what will happen if somebody is telling the pupil that, look, oh, teachers don't like disrespect. Oh. They don't. And you have to learn to respect the teacher. Will you say that? You will not. You will look at the student and say, what is wrong with you? Where do you come from? Don't they have elders in your place? The person's preference is not in an issue. 
There's an order which you understand. And I find that most people who teach on marriage don't understand that order. They keep on teaching women how to manipulate so they can have peace. They keep on teaching them how to manipulate so they can have joy. They keep on teaching them how to manipulate. What, I'm sorry to say, nine times out of ten women are taught and they learn witchcraft. They don't learn true submission. It's pure witchcraft. All they learn is how to manipulate. The other day, my wife told me something. She said, I was thinking, how will I ask him? I said, you see, that's the problem. I have said no. You should have gone to God and said, Lord, thank you. You said no. It shouldn't be, how else should I ask him? Don't you know God can say no? This is what gets Balaam into trouble. God said no. So let's see, how do we ask him? Bring more money. Lord, they brought more offering. God said go. Now, suppose they take die. Shooks is soaking it in. Where's your wife? Charles Finney wrote a book long ago, Crystal Christianity. Crystal. That is Christianity that's clear like crystal. Some of the things that he talked about inside there. Talking about motive, I think, of the things we do. Now, is that motive I wanted to explain when I digress into that? It was just that something. Because I've noticed it's very common with women. And it's not their fault. Just not well taught. And the Western world has tried to, you know, you know, you have to understand. You are equal. I said that is not in doubt in Christianity. There is no submission except, first of all, there's equality. The concept of submission assumes equality. So in my department, I have a head of department who I am senior to. Graduated from school at least seven years before he did. I interviewed him for the job the first time. Trained him, signed his books to go for exam. Supervised his project. But it's an academic setting. They rotate the headship. So after I've been there for a long time, years, of course, joined years after me, then one time it becomes his place to be the head of the department. So when this has to be, we pass it through him. It is not because I see him as a superior at all. I just understand that currently he's a head of state. Can I use that expression? What am I going to say? So submission assumes we are starting from the position of equality. So for you to stand and tell your husband and say, we are all children of God, you've lost it. Your head is not correct. It is that reason why you have been asked to submit because they know that you are equal. Your gate man is not submissive to you because if he misbehaves, you fire him. But the wife is not fireable. That is why there can't be peace in the home unless she voluntarily submits. It's absolutely voluntary. Guys, you can't enforce it. You can't do anything about it. You know, God didn't give a way of enforcing it. How did I get into that? Yeah, you know why? I'm just wondering why I stayed there for so Any marriage matter, once you enter, it's a trap. To come out, lad. Now, but I'm talking about motive, worshiping spirit. When we are obeying God, okay, yeah, I now know where I was going. Now, what made me remember that was I wanted to say something about death to self. That Christians sometimes they are taught to obey God, not in dying, not a dying process, but a way of retaining the flesh. So I want. A hundred million naira, so I can buy my APC form. Okay, I want a hundred million naira. Then I will beg God to get a hundred million. It will not cross my mind to ask God, what am I doing in APC? Collecting presidential form in the first place. But people say, look, just perspire to acquire the desire that you admire. And never retire, but continually refire. When we hear those motivational speeches, we now add God to one of the methods. So we sow a seed towards something he doesn't want us to have. 
And it doesn't cross our minds that he can say no and no is no. That's what I, that was what I was trying to get. That one, I just got pushed into that. And I remember that that submission thing, my wife and I were discussing some time ago. That's why I remembered it. That no, it's not a way of getting your way. It's a way of losing yourself. Submitting your own desires. Nevertheless, not my will. And once the father rules, that's it. So he said, we present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That's where I was going. No, we read this first. Why? The idea is this. We put it on the altar. Christianity is a death process. It's a dying process. It's a process in which you die to yourself that Christ might live in you. That's Christianity. People many times, they learn principles by which their self can thrive. No, that's not Christianity. Christianity is that I take my body, I throw it on the altar, and I leave it there. The concept of altar is that I died there. But then, it's called a living sacrifice. So now I live to God. What it means to live to God is that the only reason I breathe is to do the will of God. The only reason why I'm walking is to do the will of God. The only reason why I'm alive today is to fulfill the will of God. That is why I don't do things for self-preservation. I do things only to preserve the purpose of God in my life. Listen to this. There was a time they thought Jesus was going mental because of how he lived his life. You know, sometimes, you know, mothers are like that. They want good for you. So they went and recruited his mother to come and pull him out of ministry. His mates are building houses. They are making progress in their career. Things are moving for them. What is he doing? Teaching people who don't even have offerings to give. I mean, we knew preachers before him. They used to take offerings. After two years, they bought a, 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 bought a big car, a big car, bought a house. We just did. So they went and gathered him, he, he, the, the mother to come and pull him out of ministry. Listen to me. That was a satanic operation. He refused to fall for it. He said, your mother and your brethren are looking for you. He said, who, am, who, who are my brethren? Who is my mother? He said, those who are she's them sitting down here, paying attention to the word of God. He said, anyone among them that will do what I'm saying, the same is my mother, the same is my brother, the same is my sister. A time came. He spoke again in a very funny way. I'm going to die. They are going to, dying, walking on the road, just collapsing and dying is good. But this death is beating death. They will arrest me. They will beat me. And they will crucify me. I will now die. That's the kind of death he's telling Peter about. Ah, Peter said, why are you a gluten for punishment? Is there a part of you that takes pleasure from pain? I come to Mike Budok. It will be pervert for a man to pursue pain. This is perversion, sir. He says, sir, this is perversion. This is not right. He says, so none of this will happen to you. And Peter, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me who? Say, get behind me who? Satan. Get behind me who? Satan. Jesus calls him Satan. He has been possessed by Satan. And how do you know Satanic counsel is focused on the things of man, not the things of God? Trying to help you preserve your life. Like many times those days, no, I've told you here many times, one of the worst things you can do to your, your, your relationship with Pastor Courage is ask him, what is he still doing in Sokoto? You know the truth? Most Christians don't believe in divine will. They pretend. One brother will know what he tells the people. Say, you're seeing Nigeria. Better go and pray. Let God speak to you. Did you hear that statement? No, I don't think you heard me well enough. <laughs> he calls a friend in Nigeria. He lives abroad. Say, you're seeing Nigeria. Ah. He said, go and pray. Now let God talk to you. What does that tell you? 
he has made up his mind what God will say. Is that not what it means? He said, yeah. go and pray, let God talk to you. Another brother he told me the story. There were a number of pastors in the church, and there was an issue in the church. So he stayed, he, he, I think he's still there. It was an issue. So one of the other pastors left. So as soon as that one left, a big door opened for him. Somebody saw that he left, gave him a lot of money, millions. Like, okay, let's use today's million. Maybe like 20, 25 million. One brother just said, look, God is with you. Give him 25 million to kick off. Immediately rented a beautiful place, you know, twisted up very well, started services. And of course, church started booming instantly. You know, people even come and look. You know, when you come with a very nice car, you, the church is looking very nice. People are likely to come and just stop to just check what's going on there. So the church was big, God's God. Ah, he called his friend. He said, ah, my brother, go and pray. Let God speak to you. Do you hear that? There were two. He left. His friend was still in the church. They were associate pastors. He said, my brother, you see, they said, go and pray. Let God speak to you. Did you catch that? He didn't care what God wanted to say. All he said to his friends, my friend, leave. There's action out here. Many times Christians don't care about what they call the will of God. They actually don't care about it. What they call the will of God is something that feels good to them. It's not about whether it's acceptable or not. So people used to insult my friend, Pastor Craig, with statements like, ah, you are still in Sokoto. What are you still doing there? And so when you make such a statement, it's clear where you are, God didn't send you there. I don't need you to tell me where you are. Even if God sent you there, you didn't obey him. You know, you can be in a place where God wants you to be, and you are not there in obedience. Do you know it's possible? Some people say, what are you saying? Yes. You can be in a place by accident. Your heart is disobedient. God had to trap you there through many methods, hoping to convert you. As at that time, it's not counting. Your obedience is not counting yet. Your obedience is not yet counting. Because, you see, <laughs> let me give you an example. You say, okay, stay in this place. Anytime you are there, and you have small food, and you have nowhere else to go, you, are, you to be, appear as if you want to be there. You know, one day he wants to test, you know what he will do? He will open the door and say, now you can leave. Some will immediately, out, <laughs> they have gone. Their heart was never there. Some will say, I'm not there because of the door. No, my wife was asking me this morning, or was it this morning or yesterday? Okay, when the family were just reading scriptures, yesterday, book of Acts, and that when Paul and Silas prayed, and then the, the, the prison doors opened. So she said, that what did Paul say to the other prisoners that didn't make them run away? <laughs> I don't know whether you get the point. That what did he say to them? She was just wondering. The prison doors opened. Their shackles were loosened. Look at the door open. The jailer came, saw everybody had escaped, he thought. Wanted to kill himself until Paul said, don't do it. We are all here. So my wife said, what did Paul, no, forget Paul. That what did Paul say to the other prisoner? Him, we know he's a gluten for punishment. <laughs> he likes to be beaten and stoned for Christ. Her concern was that, what did he, he say to the other prisoners to persuade them to stay? I'm not saying I have the answer. I'm just going to tell you the scenario where somebody has the opportunity to go and does not go. That is when the person's obedience starts counting. You can't say you have, you have been obedient until you have been given the opportunity to disobey. I hope you are getting my point. If I chain my dog, he's not obedient, he's chained. But if you're losing the chain and the stranger comes and he charges at the stranger and I say, stop, stay, down. And then he freezes and he sits. You say, what? Well, this dog is well trained. Now, my dog is not that trained. 
So, for, so I'm not trying to say he's a good dog. I'm just saying he's a, he's a chain dog. It's not an obedient dog. But my wife said this dog is too stubborn. <laughs> and his breed is actually known for stubbornness. And it's not his fault. We didn't give him proper formal training. Now, I'm just trying to say something here. So you, can't, you are not obedient when you are chained down. You are obedient when you have been given the opportunity to go. And you say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That is the obedience person. In fact, like Dr. Fabio was preaching in our local convention, that what Jesus was praying about in the garden, this was his own angle for a beautiful angle. He said, you know, of course, you know the matter of fact, that Jesus had all the power. You know that? When they came to arrest him, what happened? They fell backwards. What did he say to Peter? If I wanted deliverance, I would have asked the father for what? Twelve legions of angels. And the father would have granted, you know that. So basically, the nails did not hold him to the cross. We all agree on that. He held the nails on the cross. The nails couldn't pin him there. He yielded. He kept himself on the cross deliberately. This man of God said something. He said when he was praying in the garden, that what he was praying against, I used to preach, and I believe it's also partly true, that it was the agony of the pain. And all that. He said, no, 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 no. That his, his own perspective is that, that Jesus said, Father God, restrain me from using my power. That this pressure is much. Because if he as much as dead, <clears throat> that's it. All the Roman soldiers, they are dead. The Pharisees, they are finished. But redemption will not happen. You, you get it? That he had to restrain himself. That it was so hard, he had to go and pray. Because at that point, he even told Peter, do you know I can ask the father for 12 legions? At any point, he could abort that process. But he said, I laid down my life by myself. What am I going to say? Let's not get the impression that what is good, what is the will of God, is that which feels good to us. So I keep on saying that. If you, Look, he said we should endure hardship through what? Soldiers. In battlefront, soldiers, <laughs> they don't run away because you are firing bullets. They run away because the commanding officer said run. If the commanding officer says hold, hold the ground, that's it. They will man that machine gun. And the commander says you stay here. Don't shift back. He can't. They are shooting all around. He has to turn to God to preserve his life. You know that heavy rain that fell a few days ago? About two days ago now. I went out in the morning. I drove past that military checkpoint. And I just said, Kai, this is what they call military. This is what they call armed forces. In that heavy rain, the guy had his gun on that sandbag. Me, I was inside my car. Wiper was doing shuku, shuku. The guy stood inside the rain with his gun on the sandbag like this, and looking at the vehicles passing. He can't leave. There's a shelter just down there. You see, I've told you, anytime you see policemen go to the shelter, they're on illegal patrol. <laughs> You've seen those mopo that, that station in the night. It's raining heavily. You want to beg the officer, can I give you an umbrella? You know, but he won't leave the place. You see the other guy there, you see them here, you see them here, they just stay inside the rain. You know they are on posting. They are on posting. I understand the times of Paul. Soldier, police, and soldier, they are the same thing. So I say, I endure hardship as a true soldier. It's not that we are going to learn ministry so that we can know how to blow. Nonsense. Christianity is a death process. It's a dying process. It's a one in which you throw down your life. Yeah. A place is hard. It's not a sign that God says leave you have to know something. Every bit of your life, you are contributing something. And that's what we're talking about worship. 
you have to ensure that every, every time in life, your life is being poured out in the service of God. That's what it's about. It's a very bad gospel that has given us the impression that if you give, you will get abundance back. It's nonsense. If God gives you much back, it's so you can give more. It's not so you can reap. Listen, there's no reward on this earth. I want you to know that. On this earth, there's only labor. Oh, there's no reward. The reward is on the last day. There's a crown that awaits you in heaven. Your crown is not on this earth. Christians, you understand it. This gospel that if you give 10 naira today, you get 20 naira tomorrow is bad. It's bad. Let's stop preaching it. The only reward you get on this earth is what your eyes see. What do I mean? You will labor. You will die. You know I die now. Die dying process. Paul said that you have been poured out as a drink offering. So you are poured out as a drink offering in a place. Then God says, do you want to see? Say yes. He said, now what you labored for will not happen. How old are you now? You tell him I'm 51. It's all right. What you labored for will not happen within your lifetime. You're going to live to be 98 or 102. But with, because of this labor, because you see, there's a way it works. There is called, what is called the seed and the seed seed. God always emphasizes that. So you can't say something has failed until it has failed in the life of the seed seed. I don't know what I care, what I'm going to say. It's, it's like that. It's like, you know, okay, let me give you an example. The natural Israel was not born by Abraham, was not born by Isaac, was born by Jacob. That's the seed seed. It was Jacob that saw them begin to spread. So sometimes God will say, listen, what you have labored for will not happen now. It will happen the time of the lives of the people that were trained by the people you trained. But it's not, it doesn't feel good to the body. So God will not say, all right, fine. Sleep. You will sleep. And then your eyes will open. Then you will now see the generation that have been blessed by your life. Except that they are coming up in the next 60 years. But today he lets you see it. Then you receive the result of the travail of your soul and you'll be satisfied. No, God does that. That's, God, he, he, he does that. Oh, he does that. If you go, the book of Daniel is a compilation of the consolation that God gave Daniel. Things that he did not see himself. That is physically. Moses is the same thing. Now, please, let me not sit on that. What I want to just emphasize is this. So I'm waiting for a reward on this earth. Your reward is in the last day. On this earth, you pour out yourself in the service of Christ Jesus. That's true worship. On this earth, you are pouring out yourself in the service of Christ Jesus. It is not a right gospel to tell you that if you give 10,000 naira now, God will give you 1 million naira back. It's just, it doesn't play Kalo Kalo. What he promises you, I like the way John Gillick used to do it. John Gillick will tell you that I guarantee you a soul. For every cent you give to this ministry. What was he trying to say? He said the harvest is so ripe. The laborers are so few. That if you give us a dollar. We can guarantee that in the process of using that one dollar. A hundred people will hear the gospel and be saved. If you send. Now his own bragging was not God will give you money. He said no. He said I guarantee you. That for every cent you give. Will deliver one soul. Now, he wasn't bragging on himself. He was trying to say that, listen, the harvest is plentiful. That everywhere we go, we just need people to go. 
So, little money you give us, we give them to eat. That's all. They're not doing anything fantastic there. These men are trekking. They are growing from village to village. So he said, I guarantee you a so for each cent you give. So if I give a, if you give a hundred dollars, just know ten thousand people are going to hear this gospel. See the way it trained the mind of the people. They are pour your heart out. Let's do the will of God. But this generation, what do we preach? <laughs> Praise God. After I give fifty thousand naira, when a week I had a car. Within two weeks, second car came. Within five weeks, I had a plane. Hallelujah. This is a fertile ministry. That is the lie of the devil. The fertileness or fertility of a ministry is not what it brings to you. It's how souls are being saved and Christians are being edified for the sake of the kingdom. You want to see a fertile ministry in that regard? Let's go back to John G. Lixo. A man who could guarantee you a hundred souls. If you give him one dollar. One dollar is a hundred cents, isn't it? That's a fair time. He didn't promise you will get anything. As for you, look to heaven. Your reward is in heaven. On this earth, we are dying for the sake of Christ. He said he died for, for all. So that those who live will no longer live for themselves. So what, what are we doing? For, what, Paul said, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. That this is why my life is just for the service of Christ. That's all. My being alive is for the service of Christ. What am I teaching today? Now listen, Christianity is a death process. I don't mean physical perishing. It can come to that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying that, look, every moment, we're not using it to build ourselves. We're using it to build Christ. We are laying down ourselves that his own purpose may be served. So when you ask a man, what are you doing in Sokoto? Like they ask my friend, Pastor Corey, once in a while. <laughs> he will tell you simply, we are still preaching the gospel. This is where God said we should stay. You now I gave you testimony here that when that young girl was killed, in that school. I'm just sitting there and say, why did I go to kill this girl now? As the rest of us are shouting, hey, hey, hey. you know what the pre- preachers they were doing? They were gathering to intensify praying. Sit down with us. Just let, these were already getting calm. They were getting complacent. But now they are praying some more now. And I know we joined them in prayer here the other time. And what was our prayer? That amongst those who killed that young woman, but not say, no, we don't want you to die. Why should you die? If Paul died, if Saul died because of Stephen, how would that have benefited us? I would not wish there were two Stephens killed that time now. So we would have had two Pauls. <laughs> so we joined them in prayer. I said, God, we want you to avenge us. So the Lord said, what vengeance do you want? Say, let amongst those who participated in the death of that girl, let a new generation saw Paul arise. Let the gospel advance because she died. Let her testimony stand out. Let boldness. You know what used to happen? Those is Peter. You threaten them. They go and pray for boldness to speak some more. To annoy you further. <laughs> That's what Christianity is about. So we are living to pour ourselves out for Christ. That is what service. That is what true worship is. So it says. I will come back to it later. I want to close now. He said, I urge you, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. He says, your spiritual service of worship. We have been saved, made priests of God, to offer to him acceptable sacrifices. And the first and fundamental sacrifice is to give him our whole lives. The first and fundamental sacrifice is to give him our life, to purify our bodies. Because everything we do 
is in the service of him. We are not here to learn what it takes to prosper. We are not here to learn how to break through materially, physically. No, what we are doing is in this life, my life must count for Jesus Christ. That's what we are doing. Let's bow down our heads. Let's leave it there for today. Let's say, Lord, let my life count for you. Yeah, that's the prayer. Lord, let my life count for you. 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 Now say to him, I lay my body on your altar as a living sacrifice. I'm not learning any method to get my own self built up. Everything I learn is so that I might please you. Everything I learn is so that I may do that which is pleasing to you. That's why I gave that example of that submission earlier. There are many who are wrongly taught. They said, submit so that you can get what you want from your husband. No, God says, submit so that the will of God can be done in your life. Submit so that God's will can be done in your life, in your family, in the life of that man, your husband, the life of your children, in your own life. It's not a way of manipulating so that you will get what you want. No, 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 no. Say, Lord, I lay myself on your altar. I lay myself on your altar. I lay myself on your altar. And if you are here, you have not given your life to Christ. You are listening to this from anywhere. Just pray that prayer. Say, Lord, from today I want to live for you. Because it's a lie. When people say that uh, sin doesn't matter. I see living to a man yesterday. will make it as, as if sin does not matter. I say, it does. Though. If you are still living in sin, you need to give your life to Christ. You just need to. Because many people, they just came to negotiate with God. Get me a wife. Get me a husband. Get me business. Then I will, I will do what you are saying. That's not it. We come to throw ourselves at him entirely so that we don't live anymore. We're no longer alive. It's only him that lives through us. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, Paul said. Nevertheless, I live. But the life I now live, I'm telling you I live now. I live by the face of the Son of God who died and rose again on my behalf. That is, I died at the cross. The Paul you are seeing now is Christ living through me. And that's what it's about. It's not about using Christ to get what we want. It's for Christ to live through us. That's what true worship is. Present yourself as one through whom Christ will live. One through whom Christ will live. One through whom Christ will live. And you'll be a redeemer for mankind too. Yes? As he's living through you, he's redeeming the nation. As he's living through you, he's redeeming your family. Yes, that's what he's doing. He didn't come to give you money, please. Mm. He came to redeem people through you. Offer yourself to him again today. Say, Lord, use me to redeem people.